What's up, big boy? How's it going? How are the Giants doing tonight? Um, so we were down. We we scored the first run of the game, and then they tied it up. Had a few rough innings. We were down six six to one. Yeah, yeah, we were down six to one, and then we we got in another run, and then we hit a three run bomb just not long ago. So it's five to six right now. All right, nice. Yeah, yeah but who knows if we'll scrape out the dub? Hopefully, we do. But right now, Astros got a man on second with two outs in the bottom of the seventh, but whatever. Okay, so I was confused, like, making my list because you want to do – what do you want to do today? Let's do small forwards. Oh, you're doing, you're doing small forwards instead of power? Oh, yeah. Okay, so is that, like, Giannis? Uh, Giannis is a power forward. Crap, I don't know the difference between these guys. It's super ambiguous, pretty much. You, you can kind of go with whatever. Giannis is – definitely a power forward but um i guess i can just kind of get into my list and you can react to it though all right yeah let's get into it so we're gonna be doing all right let's just do it is just so is draymond green a small forward uh he's a power forward as well oh okay interesting andrew Andrew wiggins is a small forward um i'm gonna go close my window really fast sorry okay start your list yeah for this list i just went to 30 for a couple of reasons uh number one is there just aren't a whole lot of high quality small forwards in the NBA these days. It's definitely the rarest position to find there. And then um, our episodes always run really long when I do more than 30. And so I decided to just trip it down to 30 plus my voice is kind of dying out from the blazer game. So dude, yeah, that, that was a, cre- you want to talk about that for a second? That was a really yeah. good game. Um, that was insane. There was a few ticky tack calls though, like the call on Nurk and the one on. Um, I only really watched the fourth quarter. It was the call on Nurk later, like in the fourth quarter, and then another call on Hassan Whiteside. Like they didn't yeah. even touch their, def- like they didn't even touch him, and they literally yeah, the just one where he sent Luca to the line. Yeah, I like both, both of those sent Luca to the line. Yeah, Luca's, it's like what? Luca gets a lot of calls, but I mean, so does Dame. Like superstars, kind of just obviously get that sort of treatment. Dude, so, Damian Lillard's literally the, like the best player in the NBA. He went crazy tonight. The thing about Dame is you just kind of know like it was a must-win game. His haters have been like talking crap to him all week and he just comes out and drops a career high. Like Dame, <laughs> yeah. is, Dame is one of those guys who can just kind of when when he recognizes it as a big moment, he is just one of those guys who can sort of will his way into that next level and it's just super special and fun to watch so definitely. he's so good do you think he is do you think he's on track to be the greatest blazer of all time yeah i think he's already the best player to play for the blazers i think you kind of have to throw bill walton in for the conversation just because he's like the only blazer to have won the mvp and he brought a championship to portland so he what about clyde yeah, Clyde is sort of the odd man out for me. I know there are a lot of Clyde loyalists, but I think um, like Bill Walton has the best resume, and I think Damian Lillard's the best player, and I think Clyde just kind of falls short of both of those. You know, even though the even though like we were a great team when he was with us. So LeBron and Kawhi are smalls. Yeah, a lot of people would call LeBron a point guard now but i still think he's a small forward because that's what he's like played for almost his entire career 
Okay, let me write down my my list. Okay, you my top, my top, my top five. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. All right, you start with your number one though. With my number one, okay. Um, so my number one guy. Um, obviously, there are two names that stick out far, far above the rest, and those names are Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James, and pretty much whoever you want to take out of those is good. But I went with Kawhi Leonard at number one just because for me like obviously the regular season matters and i'm not even gonna make a list you're not going to no because you literally just i only only gonna make five and you literally just took the top two so you know there's like no point i'll just chime in yeah that sounds good so yeah like i was saying like i think you can use the regular season to obviously figure out a lot like that's pretty obvious but i think the best of the best kind of gets decided in the postseason. And last year, Kawhi just had such a dominant postseason where he would single-handedly take games over for the Raptors and just win basketball games. I think it's hard to ignore that. Um, and so that's why I have him number one. I think when you – because, like, think about this. Um, if it wasn't for Kawhi, Toronto loses in round two. They lose game seven against um, – Philadelphia he was their only guy who could get a basket in the second half but um the thing about Kawhi is when he's locked in I'd say he's still the best defender in the NBA which isn't too much anymore and also um his offense is just so undeniable and what I mean when I say undeniable is that with all the great scores in the NBA like including even guys like Damian Lillard or Steph Curry even these days, LeBron James, to a certain extent, you can kind of, as a coach, create a game plan or trap them or do whatever to take them out of the game. Even if that sort of creates other weaknesses elsewhere, there are certain ways to like scheme players out of the game and sort of limit the amount of ways they can hurt you. With Kawhi, you can't really do that because he just sort of uses his like brute strength and he has some of the best footwork in the NBA and he can just sort of use that to get to his spots or get to wherever he wants on the court and he can put up a good shot from there. So um, yeah, he's basically just got like him. Like it doesn't matter what you do really. He's going to get, he's going to get his, you know, it's kind of like a Giannis thing. Like it's, it's basically up to them whether if they're having a hot night or not, it's not whether it's not how you scheme for them. It's like what they are willing to do on that given night. For sure. And yeah, so like obviously people will make the argument like the mid-range is dead or it's an inefficient shot. But for Kawhi Leonard, it really isn't because when it comes down to it and um, you're like in the playoffs or like in a game seven or what have you, and you just need to make a bucket like Kawhi Leonard is going to put up a good shot. He's going to put up a shot that he feels like he can make. And that's very important. And he can shoot the three very well too. So, and he can get to the basket. Um, so I definitely he can do everything. Him. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like yeah, going can, into the finals against the Warriors, I wasn't really too concerned about his offense, but it really showed. Oh yeah, for sure. And he's evolved that part of this game so much, which is incredible to see. And then, just one other little tidbit about him that I personally find very impressive is how he has two 
finals MVPs and they're on two separate teams. And I think what that just goes to show is how much this guy shows up when it matters, which is yeah. the first season. And don't be surprised um, if by the end of this season he has a third finals MVP on yet another team. So this is just a Kawhi's just a gamer who can Has that ever happened before? No. In fact I'm pretty sure he's the first person to do it on two different teams. And so oh, wow. three different teams will just be absurd. So yeah, definitely like Kawhi at number one. Number two, I already said this, but it's LeBron James. Um all I'm obviously like full disclosure, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan in the world. Um but I have to respect the way he's been able to sort of change his game over the years. Like, as he's gotten older, he still has that explosive athleticism that he did when he was younger, which is crazy in and of itself. But he just kind of takes it easier on himself and kind of um, lets the game come to him and kind of moves more slowly and more deliberate than he did when he was younger. And he would just take advantage of his athleticism and strength more than anything else. I kind of see that with Melo, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because he's just kind of chilling out there, and everyone trusts him. And he just yeah. like he's just like, bro, I'm going to do my thing. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. so nice to have. Like, when they were – like, today when they were in, like, that three-point basically contest today, like, because mm-hmm. um, I forget, someone hit – for the Mavericks hit one, it was, like, 124, and then, like, Dame tied it up like at 124 and then it was 127 and then 130 and Carmelo hit it tied at 127 I think yeah with a hand in his face it was yeah a great shot um but yeah that was a crazy sequence yeah it was I think there were four or five three-pointers in a row all capped off by that dame shot that took one of the craziest bounces that you're ever gonna see I was like my jaw I was like me and my dad just looked at each other we're like what in the fuck yeah, I was, just, I was just like, as soon as it hit the rim, I was just kind of looking and just praying Hassan Whiteside was going to somehow get the rebound. And then yeah. all of a sudden it dropped in and I didn't even realize it until like half a second afterwards. And Who are the Blazers announcers? It's Jordan Kent. And who's the other guy? Lamar Hurd. Lamar Hurd. He's They're so, huh? I like them a lot, but yeah. it was so funny. Lamar Hurd was like, yeah, for most people, that shot's just luck. But when you have touch like Damian Lillard, I mean, like, it's going to go down. I'm like, shut the fuck up, dude. It's all luck. Stop it. God dang. It was hilarious, though. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty funny. Um, yeah, they are really good. I really like Jordan Kent. I used to watch him, like, talking ducks. Yeah, it's crazy that this was just the um, seventh game he's ever called. Cause really? Our, yeah, our old announcer, Kevin Calabria, for some reason – um, just like a personal reason, I guess, wanted to take the rest of the season off. And so Jordan Kent's kind of like the intern, but he's doing amazing. For yeah, like considering it's his first time. He's good. The Suns are cr- doing crazy too. Yeah, they are. They're, um, I hate to say it, they're kind of getting fat on a bunch of teams who are sort of resting a lot of their players. Yeah. So. But like, it's cool to see Book do his thing and, it's definitely like even if they don't make the playoffs, it's definitely like a bunch of encouraging signs for them for next for year. Sure. But um yeah, I'd say out of the three teams though, Spurs, Suns, Grizz, the Suns are the ones I'd worry about the most for the Blazers just because of how well they're playing right now and how um 
crazy book has been shooting it over the past week. Um, yeah, you, we um, the Blazers, not we, because I'm not a Blazers fan, but um, the Blazers that that was the that's like the fully vamped Mavericks team, right? Like that's what you're gonna yeah. get. Yeah, the only guy who was out besides um, Dwight Powell, who was gone, and Jalen Brunson, who were both gone before the bubble started. The only guy who sat out was Seth Curry. And so, yeah. And then this was the second night of a back-to-back for the Mavs. And they had rested um, Luca and Kristaps the day before. And so we definitely got, like, their A-team tonight, which yeah. was on. Um, Honestly, I think it's kind of good because when you saw the Blazers lose to the Clippers bench team a few days ago and then barely scraped by Philadelphia minus Embiid and Simmons, it kind of was a little worrisome. Like, if we're struggling against these, like, basically JV teams, how are we going to do against, like, the Lakers if we make the playoffs? So to beat, like, a fully formed playoff team today, it was very... That's a big deal. Yeah, so I'm. If anything, like I know, it made it harder on us. But I'm kind of glad, looking back on it, that we got a chance against a legitimate opponent. Mm-hmm. All I hope now is that the Mavericks play their starters again against the Suns on Thursday. But I doubt that will happen because they're pretty much firmly locked into the seven seat at this point. Yeah, watching Luca is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, like he's the very, fact that he can get to the rim because like he's so slow. Right. Yeah, he's just so he's just so crafty. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a fun player to watch. Yeah, he's um, he's really fun to watch. If I think we kind of saw it today, though, like if you don't fall for his tricks, it starts to look pretty ugly for Luca. Yeah, like Gary Trent, like, and. Partly just hyping Gary up, but he was locking Luca down for portions of the game. And if you don't like, if you don't get baited into Luca's maneuvers, because he's like playing chess, he's thinking a few moves ahead. So if you don't fall for like his setups and yeah. his um, sort of things to catch you off guard, and you just stay kind of locked in, he turns the ball over a lot. Um, yeah, he just has a tough time, like. He doesn't have like a backup plan, like a LeBron James or a like Kawhi Leonard, where he can like use that. If he has to, like, yeah, yeah. If he, he if he can't like outwork you, he doesn't really have anywhere to go. He'll so, just like have, yeah. He can't like out, like f. I don't I don't know another word. He just can't. He doesn't have the athleticism to. Um, I don't know, because like LeBron, they're just like such freaks. They can't like impose. He can't like impose his will on other people. Like they can't. Yeah, and that's partly like we'll get into this more, I guess, when we do our playoff preview. But that's why I think he's going to struggle so much against the Clippers, is because against guys like Patrick Beverly and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, like he, I think he's going to get put in a bottle, and I think we're going to see a very, very different Mavericks team than what we saw for a lot of the year. I think we're going to see a Mavericks team that has a lot of trouble creating good shots. So I like Kristaps though. He's pretty much a danger from everywhere. Yeah. He was terrorizing us tonight. Yeah. Was, literally he is I like when he got uh, in the fourth, when he got that open look three pointer, I was like, that's sunk. Like yeah. there's no doubt in my mind. He's not going to drain that. He's, he's a, he's a bucket. Yeah. I'd say behind, I would say, well, I guess it's behind quite a few things, but I would say, 
one of the top 10 moments tonight where I cheered the loudest was Kristaps getting fouled out of the game because he was just a guy who was killing us. Yeah. All night. Um, he was and, our leading scorer. Yeah. And there was a lot of chatter um, about whether or not that was a foul on Kristaps. And I definitely think that that's something that goes uncalled quite a bit. And I think if Gary Trent hadn't exaggerated the contact, it probably could have gone uncalled to today. But Gary was in a legal guarding position, and um, Kristaps kind of backed him down. And if Gary, like, stands firm and doesn't give any ground to Kristaps and he falls over, like, by the rule of the law, that's technically a foul on Kristaps. So yeah. Even though it was minimal contact, it still, like, stands within the rules. Mm-hmm. So I guess we better not make this podcast any longer than it has to be. I'll just get back to my list. So we were, I think I was at number two with LeBron. Um, so yeah, LeBron, um, maybe you could make the case Anthony Davis probably isn't the best teammate LeBron's ever had. That probably has to go to Dwayne Wade. But I think Anthony Davis at this point in LeBron's career is sort of the best fit we've ever seen LeBron with because they can obviously run pick and rolls. LeBron can hit 80 in transition for easy buckets. Like, um, yeah, 80 just, um, yeah, basically is the perfect partner for LeBron, a guy who loves to play above the rim. Um, you'd love to see some better shooters on the Lakers this year. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Danny Green and KCP are guys who are historic, well, not who have historically throughout their careers been very good three point shooters. But the shots, especially since we've gotten to Disney World, the shots just haven't been falling, and that's what's prevented the Lakers from being a elite offense because God knows LeBron is like more than capable of being the lead ball handler in an elite offense. So, yeah, his passing, obviously leading the NBA in assists, career high in assists, the passing is better than it's ever been for LeBron. He's He, he gets to the bucket less than he did earlier in his career, but he still can. Uh, he can still get to a lot of the mid-range shots he likes. He settles way too much for threes this year, which is something I've been noticing about LeBron more and more in the past two or three seasons is he's got, gotten more comfortable taking threes, which I think is a bad thing because it's a low-efficiency shot for him that he misses a lot. And he could be getting to the bucket in those situations. So... I'd say that's the biggest knock I have against LeBron at this point in his career is that he settles too much. Um, but all in all, like he's going to come in second for the MVP. Great season for LeBron. I'm excited to see what he can do in the playoffs. Um, yeah, for sure. But it's just like, obviously, like I said, like I don't know if we've seen anybody in NBA history sort of change their game as their careers progressed but like stayed at the level of dominance that LeBron has. So that's yeah. a very impressive thing. Number three is a guy who I think is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. And that is Chris Middleton. He has hovered above 50, 40, 90 all season. I think he's got the 50 and the 40 down in the free throws. He's like an 89.9% free throw shooter, I want to say. So, I mean, basically 50, 40, 90, which puts him in, 
very um, sort of exclusive company. Like only guys like Steph Curry and really the best shooters in NBA history. Well, yeah. Speaking of that, like, sorry, but like it's so impressive. Like the like Dame is shooting at such a high clip for like like his production. It's crazy how efficient he's being. Yeah. He was nine of like, seventeen from three today, like over fifty percent. He's shooting like over these last couple games where he scored over fifty points. Mm-hmm. He is shooting over fifty, almost sixty percent. Yeah, like his last game where he scored fifty, it was like fifty-seven something percent from the field. It was crazy. Like that's so impressive. Yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, it's it's, super, <laughs> it's just so. And crazy what he does. Like he's such a dominant score. Um, yeah, but crazy. I agree with you. Chris Middleton is a beast. Yeah, Chris Middleton's awesome. Same with Al Horford. I don't know. Is he a power forward? Yeah, he's a power forward or center. Um, oh, he is. Yeah. Yeah, I like him. Probably more, more of a power forward, though. I would yeah. say. But anyway, Chris Middleton has sort of been the perfect complement to Giannis. Just a guy who can shoot the lights out of the gym, plays very good defense. I add him on my all-NBA second team. Just the fact that he's doing 50, 40, 90 on the volume he is, is honestly enough to put him at number three. But he's a good defender. Obviously, the best defense in the league is the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's he's not the reason that it's number one, but he's definitely a cog in the defensive machine for the Bucks. And so, yeah, just a very good all-around player. He's the type of guy who you could just drop him onto any team in the NBA, and he could sort of just do his thing and just be a super great piece in literally any offense you can imagine, which I think is a beautiful thing and something I value in players. That's why I have Chris Middleton at number three. Number four is a guy who I think has the potential to be better than Middleton, for sure but he just is always battling injuries, and that's Paul George. Um, Paul George is obviously a great shooter. He's very good with the ball in his hands. He's so smooth. He's able to set up shots pretty much wherever he wants. Um, Dude, he and Marcus Morris look identical on the floor together. Yeah, it's like if you If you squint your eyes, and Marcus Morris is like number 31, right? Yeah. He, they're they like, they're, and is they it PG-13? Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they have the shooting sleeves on the same arm. I'm like this. I was like, they literally could be the same guy. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. And then um, that's crazy. Now that I think about it, you're completely right. They I like. I was like, God, dude, someone's got to get up on Paul on Paul George. And then they're like, Marcus Morris drains the three. I was like, oh shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never really thought about that, but you're a hundred percent right. But anyway, yeah, Paul George, yeah, um, all the stuff I said on offense. Um, he is kind of regressing on defense. He's not the defender he was in Indiana. He can still move his feet and stay in front of guys, and he's um, still got that size. Um, but he's not quite heavy. Well, he's not quite um, like heavy enough, I guess, is, would be the right way to put it. He's not heavy enough to compete with the best small forwards in the NBA. Um, he doesn't give effort 100% of the time, and obviously part of that's due to the injuries. Probably tough to stay in like the best shape that you can possibly be in when you've been fighting injuries for pretty much your entire career. 
but um and a significant one too right oh yeah yeah but definitely an elite offensive small forward and a above average defensive guy um so yeah yeah very when did he get he hurt himself on the pacers right yeah, he's pretty much hurt himself on every team he's been on. But yeah, the the leg injury where he broke his leg was on the Pacers. And then and then he and then he went to the Thunder and then now Clips. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. And the funny thing about Paul George is he's demanded a trade from every team he's been on, which is kind of if you ask me a sort of red flag. He demanded a trade from the Pacers, then he demanded a trade from the Thunder. Um, not really a whole lot of respect for that, but he is a great player. It's funny though, like those aren't like the biggest market teams. He pre- definitely is probably happy in LA where he's at right now. Yeah, probably. Because I mean, getting traded from Indiana to Oklahoma City. <laughs> yeah. And then right. Russ gets leaves, like obviously. Yeah, and I mean, PG even left before Russ. Yeah. I guess they just weren't experiencing a lot of success, which is sort of the thing that you go back to when you can say, like, Damian Lillard and did that franchise with that three-pointer to end the Over series. Paul. Right, yeah. And the fact that, that they're, they're just so jealous of – everyone's so jealous of Dame. Well, I don't know if jealous is the way to put it. It's just – No, like they, they are, I feel like. I mean, yeah, I mean – He's definitely put him through a lot. So, what do you mean? Like, you don't think PG is jealous? The I, I guarantee you, PG would love to be as loved as Dame is. That's true. Yeah, you're right. That's it. Is kind of crazy though. Like, how Dame is like one of the only superstars who's like well loved by fans. Like, LeBron's got a lot of haters, and like Katie has a lot of haters, and even Steph has like a lot of haters. But it seems like Dame. It's partly because, like, Steph the Blazers. Steph has haters for the wrong reasons, though. Steph does? Yeah. I feel like people just get tired of Steph. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, but I, I feel like Steph's never really done anything to, like, make you actually want to hate him. No. I like, mean, because, like, you can get mad at LeBron for, like, just kind of being kind of whiny and stuff, but, like, you never, I don't know what you could really complain about with Steph. Yeah, that's true. If anything, you could say he's like a little cocky, like how he's always doing his little celebrations. Yeah, stuff. but I mean, like, bro. <laughs> yeah, everybody does that, but it gets kind of annoying to some people, I'm sure. But yeah, but when you hit the when you hit the shots, he does. I mean, like, it's hard not to get jacked up. Yeah, that's for sure. But it's so sick, Dame. Freaking, he'll pull up from half court, and he's just like this. Yeah. Like he'll just, I love it. It's yeah, it's awesome. Which is kind in itself. He doesn't celebrate till after the game's done. No, I mean in itself though, it's also a little bit like I don't want to say corny, but you can tell Dame's kind of playing into the whole like stone cold killer sort of just <laughs> yeah Simon assassin vibe. Like yeah, kind he's of not, stoic. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. But anyway, moving on to number five on my list is a guy who I think is really up and coming, and that's Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics. He's he's a shooting guard. Yeah, he plays shooting guard for him, but I think his natural position is more small forward. 
I put him and Hayward on this list as small forwards, and then I put is Hayward, Jason a power? I put Jason as a power forward, but I think you could make the argument that even Jason Tatum is, is a shooting guard forward. or no for a small forward. Yeah. And like, you're completely right. Like Jalen Brown started every game at them for shooting guard, but I think he has like the height and the size to play. What is he? Six, seven. Yeah. I want to say maybe six, six or six, seven, but he's a bigger guy too. Like he, he's like got those broad shoulders and he, I'm sure he probably weighs a lot more than like your he, he went to Cal, right? Yeah. Yep. Pac-12 guy. Um, Pac-12 always produces really good basketball players. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Like like some know, of the best basketball players in the league are literally from Pac-12 schools. And they're always like very few of them are like early draft picks. Like I feel like Pac-12 guys tend to fly under the radar more mm-hmm. compared to like some of the other schools. I think there are a few Pac-12 players this year who are kind of flying under the radar. But Who? Especially Tyrell Terry, but I would also say Peyton Pritchard is sort of the guy I'm excited about. Oh yeah, you're high on Tyrell, but he's not going to get drafted, right? I th- does he have the other year? Tyrell? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he was just a freshman, but he declared, so he could have oh. gone back to Stanford for three more. But um, he's ready to test the waters. So. Yeah. And I like him a lot. So it's pretty we'll- sad. Everything's canceled. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks. The Did financial impact is going to be crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Did you hear how even like the Pac-12 canceled it today? No, yeah, that's what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least, I don't do think, think is the SEC hasn't made a, SEC and ACC haven't said anything, right? And Big Twelve, right? Yeah, only Big Ten and Pac-12 have. But yeah. it it doesn't really matter. Literally, like the um the ACC and the SEC. And then is Ohio State in the Big Ten? Yeah. But did you hear the thing where, like, the Big 12 might let some of the Big Ten schools, like, join their league for one year? Dude, they should let the Ducks join, like, the – like, I don't know. <laughs> they okay. need to, The Ducks not playing in this year would be an absolute shame. Yeah, it would, it would be a bummer. But, well, point, it, is, it is a bummer, but, I yeah. mean – At this point, like – they need to stick the ducks. They need to like station the film Knight needs to organize a little bubble and station them somewhere like in Texas or something. Yeah. University of Oregon could build a remote campus in um, Dallas, Texas. That'd be crazy. Or wherever. I don't know. They could do wherever the hell they wanted to probably. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. We're going to, I'm going to miss college football this year. Obviously yeah. I'm not the biggest football fan, but just in terms of like going to the games on a Saturday night and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be weird having a fall without football. Dude, it's wild. But yeah. So are you on number six now? Yep. Yeah. I just finished up Jalen, but Brown on here. I'll just say a few more things. Like he's been a very good defender this year. He's good with the ball in his hands. Like obviously most of his shots come off of like catch and shoot situations, but it, it kind of sucks for him too, though, because when you think about the Celtics offense, like obviously you've got Jason Tatum, Kimball Walker, Gordon Hayward, and like, boom, there are your like top three ball handlers right there. And I would say even Marcus Smart spends more time with the basketball in his hands than um, Jalen Brown does. But I think Jalen Brown's more than capable of putting it on the deck when he gets the chance. So I think, oh yeah, if anything, he's kind of being, I don't want to say under used or undervalued by the Boston offense, but I feel like he's a conservative kind of player. 
Like when he gets his, he'll take it. But like, I don't. I feel like he's not like the number yeah, one. He keeps the ball moving. That's another thing you got to give him props for is that he knows the his place in sort of the Boston offense, and he's That's a super. Good. Yeah, he's a super valuable contributor for him on defense. If anything, I think it just shows like how highly I think of him. That even though he's not like the main guy on the Celtics offense, and he sort of gets his after. Jason and Kimba get theirs. He's still number five on my list. Like the kid can play even if, even if he doesn't get a ton of shots in the Celtics offense, he still averages like over 15 points a game. So it's not like he's some low usage role player, but whatever. Um, Number six is a guy who's sort of like LeBron evolving. This guy's more declining as well. That's Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat. The interesting development for well, there have been a few weird things, but um, I think he's second in the NBA in free throw attempt rate, which is, I guess, for those of you who don't know, free throw attempt rate is the amount of free throws you take per field goal attempt, and so um, basically, it just shows like how often do you get to the line compared to the amount of shots you take, and for um, for Jimmy, it's around twenty five percent, twenty five, twenty six percent this year. And that has been a very interesting thing because he's averaging 20 points a game. Um, so, like, a lot of those are coming from the stripe because he is a good free throw shooter. And I think that's really bailing him out this year because the crazy thing is, even though he's been a good three-point shooter over his career, he's dipped down to 24% this year, and now he's not even taking three-pointers anymore. He's almost, like, not obviously Ben Simmons. That's a cliche, but, like, he avoids the three-pointers at all costs right now, it feels like. And um, obviously when you're as mid-range heavy as Jimmy is, it's going to be very hard to create efficient offense if you don't also have the three-pointer in your arsenal. And that's why it's been so kind of cool to see him draw all these fouls and get to the line this year and maintain his efficiency on offense despite the fact that he's not a shooter. And his passing has been awesome, especially when he works with like guys like Bam Adebayo in the pick and roll, or he's part of the handoff game with like Duncan Robinson. In, in this is an unpopular opinion, I'm sure, but I don't think Jimmy Butler exists without Duncan Robinson. Just like the gravity that Duncan um, attracts and can clear out an entire side of the court for Jimmy to go to work, I think is a lifesaver for Butler. But mm-hmm. So, yeah, I basically said all I can about his offense. Defensively, sure, he's regressing. Sure, he's not as quick as he used to be, maybe not always quite as locked in, although he can really get up for games when he needs to. He's still been a very good defensive player statistically. Um, I think he's like plus one and a half defensive BPM. Um, And then, like, obviously, he's always guarding the toughest matchups on the other team. Just... um, Yesterday, I want to say, when they played the Pacers, obviously he had that feud with T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren's been going off. Butler guarded T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren did not get anything on Jimmy. So even though that part of his game has been declining over the past, I would say, two, two and a half years, he can still play defense with the best of them when he needs to, which sort of brings me, I guess, to my number seven guy. That's T.J. Warren. Um, a guy who's really been making a name for himself. Well, 
people knew who he was, but this is a guy who's making a name for himself as an all-star, even a guy who you could look at for fringe all-NBA next season. TJ Warren is like, if I was making my perfect small forward in a lab, like TJ Warren is pretty much that guy. Like TJ Warren is... We're- <laughs> Mike is sure, like where where it's bottom it's top nine with uh one out and we have one man on with and we're down by one run. Oh really? Yeah. Is TJ okay. Warren old uh younger or older? I think this is his he I think he's like twenty six or twenty seven. This is his fifth year in the NBA. I'm pretty sure. Oh, so he's fine. Yeah. Uh he's just, Depot could be good. Yeah. The Pacers are going to be crazy. I'm fascinated by the Pacers. Who name? Um, what's who else is on their team? So your ideal starting lineup would probably be Brogdon, Oladipo, Warren, Sabonis, Turner. Wait, they have Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Who? Yeah, it's a very interesting lineup. And, and then, then who else? You've got a lot of guys who I actually love coming off the bench. So you've got the Holiday. Was it Brogdon brother. on the Bucks and? Yeah, but he was the Pacers signed him in the offseason this year. Dude, they could be trouble. Yeah, and then you've okay, got like, who, like Aaron Holiday and Justin Holiday coming off the bench. TJ McConnell, who I love. Doug McDermott, who I also love. Goga Batadze. You've got Jeremy Lamb, and he's hurt right now. Uh, TJ Leaf. Just a lot of very. Um, Dude, they, that's pretty stacked. Yeah. Jakar Sampson's played some minutes. I cannot wait to see what the Pacers do this offseason. I'm just going to go on a little Pacers tangent here just because of how interested I am by them. It's just going to be fascinating because they are so they could go in so many different directions. Like I see it like Victor Oladipo is a guy who likes to have the ball in his hands and sort of create shots for himself, sort of work in the pick and roll. Um, I don't like his fit with Sabonis whatsoever. Like I hate their fit together. Not, oh, they have Demonis Sabonis? Yeah. Do you Not, like him or no? I think he's overrated, but I like him. Um, Man, Brog- they're pretty good. They're, yeah, they're super, super interesting. Brogdon and Sabonis are a pick-and-roll tandem who I love um, and who were super great together this year. And so I would hope they can maintain their chemistry into next year. TJ Warren is just a guy who is a bucket. Like, he can score – from all three levels on the court. He can score efficiently from all three levels on the court. He can pretty much score against almost any defender in the NBA and get to his shots whenever he wants. Like he's just a stud on offense. And then you've got the fit between Turner and Sabonis in your front court, which I think is super, super weird. And it's kind of Wait, who? Um, Miles Turner and Damanis Sabonis. Bro, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because like, they have so many guys who just are kind of going to either have to be moved or sort of compartmentalized into like a role that is beneath them. But, um, yeah, Demon is seven footer, bro. Yeah. And then on top of that, like you've got a coach who I, he's not like the flashiest name in coaching, but like Nate McMillan is a guy who I really respect. And so it's going to, be very interesting to see like what direction he goes to especially since he's known more as like a defensive coach so like the offense isn't sort of like his forte but he's gonna have to make some tough decisions and he's gonna have to really figure out what he wants to do stylistically because there are so many sort of directions the Pacers are going to be able to go this summer 
And so, yeah, they're just super, super interesting to me. No, yeah, they have a pretty stacked-ass lineup, bro. Yeah, they do. It's crazy. And you don't even really They've think got about scorers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Man, that's that's sick. Yeah. Even yeah. Like, it's hard to know what they're going to do this playoff without. What do you think uh, that they're going to try to do this offseason? You think they're going to try to get a piece or what? Um, Is that what you... They're, they're kind of cap-locked. The, we'll have to do it. We'll have to Let's talk go. about this. What happened? It's not enough. It's six apiece, baby. Uh, you want to pause the podcast so you can go watch it? I feel bad. Absolutely not. I'm falling on my phone. It's fine. Okay. If, Let's go. Can we can always do this like tomorrow because like it sounds like it's an exciting game. So if you want to go watch it, bro, no, they literally they play every day. Okay. I mean, and then we're at so we're at eight now. Yep. So now, um. Dude, I like the Pacers. That's crazy. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, okay, so you've got you've got Kawhi, LeBron, Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton, Paul George, Paul George, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren. Man, yeah, there's a lots of very good small forwards slash whatever else they play. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of the weird. That's I've kind of just been making up the positions as i've gone along and what's been weird is like sort of how kind of ambiguous it all is like really for most of these guys you could make the case that they play like some other position um but i mean it doesn't really matter just as long as i don't um forget to include anybody by the time we've made it through yeah but number eight i decided to go Brandon Ingram, who obviously we saw as a, he shows improvement and he's improved yeah. a lot. Yes, for sure. We saw him as a finalist even in the uh, most improved player award. And personally, he wasn't my pick. He came in second for me behind uh, Luka Doncic, which I know is sort of the hot take at this point. But where's um, Devonte Graham up there? He, didn't he? Didn't he get some recognition for being most improved? No, really. He, he he was sort of the guy everybody's saying is snubbed. I personally don't really see it just because I don't think he was very good this year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sorry, man. <laughs> he put up a lot of shots. Like, obviously, the Hornets, like, let's call a spade a spade. Like, the Hornets were a bad basketball team this year. Not a whole lot going on offensively. So, at a certain point, somebody's going to have to step up and just, like, shoot the ball and so Devontae just got to take a lot of shots and like he had a couple months towards the beginning of the season where he was red hot and during those months like sure back then you could make a case for him as most improved player but as the season um continued and he sort of not really felt well yeah as the season continued and he fell off like I mean he's the same player he's just taking more shots this year I don't really see the case from being most improved Whereas, um, here I'll go on to yet another tangent. Um, Luka Doncic is the guy who I actually think has improved. And everybody's oh, saying... Oh, no shit. Yeah, of course. Everybody's saying, like, of course, he's a second-year player. Second-year players are supposed to improve. He was the uh, fourth overall pick, or he was the third overall pick in the draft. Like, obviously, a guy who was picked third overall is expected to be good. But the thing is, like, the amount of improvement it takes to go from 
Luca wasn't even an all star his rookie year. He was a near all star. Now he's a perennial like MVP contender. To be like a legitimate MVP contender, that is just an unreal leap. Not to mention he's leading what is technically the best offense in NBA history. Like, obviously, I don't think anybody's calling the Mavericks the best offense in NBA history, but statistically, they are. I just think that level of improvement is so meaningful that it sort of is hard to ignore and it deserves that recognition. 100%. Even though Luca himself has said he doesn't want to win the award, I think he probably yeah. thinks it's beneath him or whatever, but he's <laughs> my pick. Um, anyway, his competition for that award is the guy I had at number eight, Brandon Ingram. The singular most um, fascinating part of Ingram's improvement for me this year was the three-point shooting. He was a terrible three-point shooter. Well, not terrible, but he was a below-average three-point shooter in Los Angeles, and he's turned into an elite three-point shooter this year, whether it's off the dribble, moving to his left, moving to his right. like That's big for him, too, especially because like oh, yeah. how big he is and stuff. Right. Like That will yeah. open up so much more of his game. Yeah, he can get his shot off over pretty much anyone. Yeah. Um, it it helps so much to be like a multi-dimensional basketball player. Right. Especially oh, yeah. in today's game. Oh yeah. And obviously like the cliche is to compare Brandon Ingram to Kevin Durant. And obviously he's nowhere near Kevin Durant, but you can sort of see where people kind of That was get. his comparison out of Duke, basically. Yeah, you can sort of see where it comes from. It's just like two taller, skinnier guys who have like good handles and can use their handles to like create jump shots for themselves. Um, yeah. Whether that's in the mid range or from three. Um, Brandon Ingram. Is his mid range game pretty solid? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was kind of his bread and butter um, before he developed the three, but yeah, uh, still bad. Uh, still a bad defender, which is, I think what sets him apart from like a guy that's like, a shame too, especially because yeah. he can match up. He could match up with so many guys. Right, he's just so skinny and like sort of weak. Um, that yeah, it, but if his length though, yeah, his length could bother some guys. Um, for sure. But that's pretty much what sets him apart from T.J. Warren, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown. It's still top ten though. Yeah, even almost like a guy like Paul. George, probably not Paul George, but the other guys I mentioned, Brandon can score as well as those guys can, if not better. It's just that all of those guys can play defense along with it. And Brandon Ingram's still working on that aspect of his game. Yeah. And so that's what puts him down at number eight, which like you said, is still really good. Nothing to sneeze at. Um, number nine is the second Celtic I included on this list. And if I included Jason Tatum, as a small forward, this would be the third Celtic on my list, which um, can we just take a minute to appreciate Danny Ainge's team building? Like if I was a general manager, I would take a lot of cues from the way Danny Ainge has ran the Celtics. Cause I said this at the beginning of the show, small forward is the most rare, but also the most important position in basketball. And so Danny Ainge um, when he's drafting, he drafts a lot of small forwards and he drafts a lot of wing players and he targets those guys in free agency. So now when most teams struggle to find one 
capable small forward. Danny Ainge has three very, very good ones in, um, in Hayward, Tatum, and Brown. And so I just think that's super, super smart how he's just sort of zeroed in on those players and sort of values them above all else. Um, yeah, that's honestly, so solid because when yeah. you have that, any one of those guys can go off on any given night. And when you have, when you increase the chances, like that's just amazing. Cause like all, cause I feel like a small forward is like hybrid player basically. Yeah. Yeah. So for I mean, sure. Yeah. The, those scores, defenders. Yeah. And it allows you to have so much versatility and so many options in the way you choose to like set up defensive schemes and the way you yeah. choose to sort of attack your opponent's offense. And so I just think Danny just like, super smart for like valuing he like obviously that's how i would start my team yeah small forwards are the most valuable position in the league everybody knows that but danny Ainge values them even more highly than the rest of the general managers seem to so i just think that's awesome getting to the specific small forward of gordon hayward um we touched on him a little bit with jalen brown he spends some more time with the ball in his hands than jalen brown does this is the first year where I've really felt confident in Gordon Hayward having bounced back from that gruesome leg injury he suffered in 2018. Yeah, that was brutal. This, yeah, this was the first year where it really looked like, or was it 2017? It was like, yeah, it must have been 2017, my bad. Um, But Gordon Hayward definitely looked like his old self. It was his um, first season with the Celtics, right? When he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, um, I think 17 then. Yeah. And we can, um, like, he can shoot the three, obviously. More of a catch-and-shoot guy from three. He doesn't mm-hmm. take very many off the dribble. What he does do off the dribble is get to his mid-range, where he is one of the best in the league. He's tall. He can shoot over people. He's so good at those little leaners from, like, 12 to 15 feet away from the basket where he sort of like comes off the screen, gets his defender behind um, his back, sort of snakes the pick and roll, even sort of hits that off balance shot in the shorter area of the mid range. Like that's obviously his signature shot and it's his signature shot for a reason. He's absolutely deadly with it. And he's not a guy who's going to get you killed on defense. I don't know if I would say he's a plus defender, but he's average. And the thing about average small forward um, defenders is average is actually above average, which is sounds kind of weird, but um, there are just so few capable small forwards in the NBA that if you can get a small forward who won't kill you, that's better than like what 50% of the teams have. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what differentiates like a small forward from a shooting guard from a power forward? Well, I mean, obviously the main thing you sort of look to is just size. Like, I mean, that's probably the most obvious one. And like really in but sort I feel of like basketball. Size stuff. from a power forward, because power forward is basically like a center, right? Yeah. I More mean, capabilities. Yeah. yeah, I would say small forwards spend more time with the ball on their hands than power forwards do. Like they're usually guys who have a bit more dynamism to their game than fours do. And obviously that's changing now. Really the only thing that I sort of look to is like what these guys have played the most sort of throughout their career. Um, 
but like yeah that's kind of because like could you make an argument that clay thompson is sometimes a small forward or no oh yeah yeah for sure i i think he's going to be playing pretty much exclusively small forward from this point forward because of injury or is it because of his injury just going to be a little bit slower but and because he's like a bigger stronger guy than most of the shooting guards are but um yeah you definitely could make that argument most of yeah most of the time i guess it's just kind of tough to like differentiate but um yeah it sort of is one of those things where you just kind of have to sort of feel it out and just kind of see how their team use them and that sort of thing but number 10 i had demar Rosen, who is sort of um getting less attention than he used to now that he's on the spurs for some reason but he's still calls him washed (laughs) Shannon. yeah i mean yeah he's not wrong like he's a guy who's sort of dropping off especially in the athleticism department but yeah his shot is still as pure as it's ever been from mid-range um he's one of the best like isolation guys in mid-range like post-ups fadeaways he pretty much is the full package when it comes to creating a shot inside the three-point line still a very good finisher around the basket gets to the foul line where he's a great free throw shooter he's pretty bad defensively but he is improved his passing especially as you've sort of seen a lot of the spurs younger guys sort of develop and even as you've seen greg popovich sort of like not really um develop but like greg popovich is starting to get a little bit less conservative as a head coach he's starting to allow more and more three-pointers and i think that's helped demar to rosen out a lot his assists totals have been um going up especially since we've come back in like the bubble in orlando florida um uh, DeMar DeRozan's been making a lot more passes um, to three-point shooters and getting more assists that way. So that's kind of opened things up for him. And so, yeah, just um, will always be one of those kind of bucket getters. And that's why I have him at number 10. Number 11 is a guy who I think is pretty underrated. I don't think most people would have them in their top 15. That's Joe Ingles of the Utah Jazz. The thing I like about Joe Ingles is I always tend to overrate these guys. Um, Like, obviously, you saw it with Marcus Smart, who is someone you and Shannon didn't like. Um, I like Marcus Smart. Yeah, but I think you guys both didn't quite agree with having him top 10 like I did. Maybe you did. I don't, I don't think he should be top 10 probably. But I tend to go like him. How it would work in your offense. What? Like if you, I feel like you base things on like, if you were to run a team or something. Yeah. And I like these guys who play with a lot of heart and maybe aren't like the most most dynamic players. Yeah. Like, Joe Ingles is kind of an asshole. Like he gets into people's face. He talks a ton of crap during the games. Like when, <laughs> if you, if you watch a lot of interviews with NBA players and like, sometimes the reporters will ask them like who talks the most shit during games. Like Joe Ingles is a name that comes up consistently. Like he's always barking. But the thing is like Joe Ingles has got the game too. Like it's not all talk with him. He's obviously a very good defender. That's kind of what he's well known for. Um, he shoots. 
Yeah, for the past few years, the Jazz have always put him on the best offensive player on the other team. But yeah, like you were saying, he can shoot. He can shoot off the dribble. He shoots step backs. He's obviously deadly with the catch and shoot three, which is such a big weapon for the power forward position. And the thing I love most about Rudy Gobert is he's super unathletic. So it always looks like it's slow motion with him. But you mean Joe also- Ingles? Or are you talking about Rudy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I say Rudy Gobert? <laughs> yeah. The thing I like about, because I was about to get to that, the, the thing I like about Joe Ingles is he's played a little bit more with Rudy Gobert this year. And the connection those two have on the pick and roll has been very fun to watch. Uh, Joe Ingles is actually a very creative, smart passer out of the pick and roll. He finds Joe Ingles, or he finds Rudy Gobert. <laughs> I'm a little tired. He finds Rudy Gobert probably for like one or two. Uh, dunks a game um he can shoot floaters off of the pick and roll um he's not an iso player he's not a player who you can like sort of put one-on-one against a defender and get a bucket he's not probably going to do that but yeah because um, he's not like the most athletic oh for sure yeah but he's slow but he he that he can get his shot when he gets his shots off he can sink them mm-hmm. yep and just a he's super- good he, he i like the comparison to trace tinkle yeah, didn't Anders make that the other day? Except I don't agree with the... I mean, like, I don't know. Trace Tinkle could be good, but... Yeah, Trace only... is... He's nowhere near as good as Joe Ingles, like... No, yeah, 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 but Trace could... I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Trace has a future in the NBA, but, like... You don't think so? No, but I still think that was a kind of interesting comparison because, like, they're the same sort of physical profile. Obviously, Joe's probably a lot stronger but they're both like taller guys who can sort of shoot, but also like to create with the ball in their hands. So I kind of see like what Anders was getting out there. Um, And then number 12 is the jazz other small forward who is also sort of power forward, but I put him on this list and that's Boyan Bogdanovich, who is one of the best shooters on this list. Wait, Um, is he related to Bogdan? No, that's the funny thing. I used to think they were related for the longest time, but they're not actually. It must just be a common last name wherever they're from. Um, Are they from the same country? Uh, that's a good question. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look yeah, up. go fact check that. But um, Boyan Bogdanovich is just a lights out shooter. He's got a beautiful shot. Um, he's tall. He's got a high release. He's got a quick release. He gets his shot off effortlessly on the move he turns and faces the basket so well um he can shoot three somewhat off the dribble but that's not really his go-to if he's going to go off the dribble he usually likes to get into the mid-range more often especially when he's moving to his left and he'll sort of shoot those kind of not really fadeaways but sort of shoot those off balance jumpers moving to his left and that's sort of his go-to on um on offense when he's caught the ball and he's putting it on the deck um on defense he's not by any means a plus defender but i feel like he gets sort of labeled in that sort boyan of is, sorry boyan is croatian and bogdan is serbian okay yeah i guess well, just in and, in and around there it's probably similar court yeah, bogdanovich must just be a common eastern european last name yeah. But anyway, Boyan is not a great defender, but he sort of gets thrown into that stereotype of just 
he's sort of a slower, less athletic white European dude who might not even like give the best effort on defense, but the um Boyan's not exactly a pushover on that end. Like he's got the size, his feet are quicker than you'd expect. So he can stay in front of most guys. Obviously he's not a guy you're gonna use to like guard a LeBron James or a Kawhi Leonard or um a TJ Warren or somebody like that. But um like he's not as terrible as some might think, yeah. Which is obviously helpful. Number thirteen is a guy who I would say probably besides Kawhi Leonard and maybe Jimmy Butler is the best defender on this list, and that's OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. OG obviously makes his living on the defensive end of the court where he can guard pretty much anybody in the NBA, super quick, super strong, super good instincts, just the perfect defensive player. But what's really encouraging is how much he's improved on offense. Like he went from being pretty much a zero on offense. who didn't really have sort of anything to being a guy who, although he's not a good three point shooter or even an average three point shooter, he takes them often enough and makes them just often enough to the point where defenses have to respect it and have to close out on him. And he's developing um, a game where he can attack closeouts on the drive. And the thing you love to see there is he's more decisive. So some younger guys in OG would even do this towards the beginning of this year, would sort of, um, once they take that first dribble um, into or past the three-point line, you sort of see some hesitation and like, although they are trying to get to the basket, they don't quite know like what they're going to do to get to that point. Like whether like they see a defender stepping up and rotating and that throws them off or whatever, like um, there's just some indecisiveness and not as much sort of assertiveness going to the rack as you'd like to see. But OG's really worked past that this year and he attacks the rim hard when he decides that's what he's going to do. And for someone who's as strong and athletic as OG, that's just something you love to see and something he'll probably keep improving on. I think the sky's the limit for OG Ananobi right now. Um, I don't ever think he's going to be a TJ Warner or a Brandon Ingram offensively, but I think he can be good enough to where the combination of that and being the best defender in the NBA, which I think is capable of, I think that could be a top five small forward. So OG is a guy who I really like at number 13 on my list. And I would say at this point, this is where we get the drop off. Those top 13 guys are all guys who I really like and I think are the best small forwards in the NBA. And yeah, I think but like you of, said, they're rare. So Yeah, and then I think there's kind of a drop off going to 14. The guy I have at 14 is another guy who you could probably make a case is overrated here at 14, but he's a guy who... I've also been super encouraged to buy in the bubble, and that's Mikhail Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. Um, the thing about Mikhail is, like OG, he's a lockdown defender as well. He's not quite as strong as OG, but he's got much better hands. His arms are crazy long. You can't really dribble the ball in front of him because he'll just take it away. Uh, he shuts down pretty much an entire half of the court because – He's just so active on defense and he wrecks havoc and he creates so many turnovers. And then um, 
you can like throw them at the best offensive guy on the other team. And um, it's just tough to get past someone with that kind of length. And so Mikhail is a super valuable player because of what he brings defensively. And then offensively, somewhat like OG Ananobi, that's the part of his game that was sort of still developing. But his three-point shot has been getting a lot better recently, and he's willing to take it. And so defenders are going to have to respect that. So I think um, he is a very serviceable small forward, and he's a guy who I actually like quite a bit. Number 15, getting back to sort of the offensive-oriented guys, is Will Barden of the Denver Nuggets. He's a guy who's a very good shooter. The Nuggets are good, too. Yeah, the Nuggets are pretty good. And Will Barton hasn't even been playing. Um, but he's a very good shooter. He can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket, create in the mid-range. He's super quick, super, super fast. So um, he's able to sort of get sh- shots off, I guess. And he's not a great defender, but he's an average defender. And like I said, average is really above average when it comes to small forwards. He has got quick feet, stays in front of guys. He gives good effort. He's just a guy who, if you're looking for an offensive-oriented small forward who's not going to kill you on defense, Will Barton's your guy. Um, Number 16 is a guy who I like to think of as sort of discount Joe Ingles, and that's Josh Hart of the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, I like Um, him. Yeah, not a a very good shooter. He's 35%, which is not quite up to league average, but – like I always talk about, like you don't have to be an average three-point shooter. You just have to be a willing three-point shooter. And that's pretty much all it takes to get defenders to close out on you. And once you've got defenders um, who are stuck to you, that opens up the offense, which is what's even more important than knocking down threes consistently. So Josh Hart is a guy who, even though he's a 35% three-point shooter, that doesn't worry me. Just like Joe Ingles, he's good at putting the ball on the ground um, it's something he likes to do. He can create, even though when you pair him with Lonzo and Brandon Ingram, it's probably something he's not going to be asked to do very much unless he's coming off the bench, which is what happened a lot this year. Um, the oh, thing, I you think- know, yeah, sorry, but you know what I was noticing is there's so many good um, past Lakers that yeah. are like on different teams. Like Zubats is good. Yeah, Clarkson. And then basically everyone on the Pelicans, and that, I mean that's about it. Like, but like those those guys are the like ones that I've noticed that have been like on the Lakers previously. Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. Like when you look at just like obviously the Lakers had to get Anthony Davis to pair with LeBron James. Like that makes them a title contender, especially with the clock running out on LeBron's career. Yeah. But when you just kind of get rid of the context and look strictly at the assets that were included to get Anthony Davis, I think the Pelicans won that trade. Like they but got, at least Anthony Davis is young and provides some longevity. Oh, for sure. I mean, but the like thing, you know what I mean, though. It's not like you're getting a guy to win now. You're also getting like a future winner too. But like really, in today's day and age, who knows? Like who knows if Anthony Davis wants to stay in Los Angeles after LeBron? is done or whatever like um but yeah that's true i didn't even think about that but i mean it, like it's hard to just now at least but he would be a good trade asset obviously yeah the, 
Ten but, years, but if, if he plays out his contract and doesn't want an extension, how much longer is his contract? Uh, so that's the interesting thing. He actually has a um, option this year, which is expected to be declined. So he's expected to go into free agency this summer. But what if the Warriors got him? Yeah, that would be crazy. All signs point to him re-signing with the Lakers this year, though. It would be Dude, a shock. What if shock. the Warriors got AD? They got the brow, bro. They yeah. would. You would actually pencil them in for the finals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have to, but the odds of that happening are. I wouldn't, dude. I'm not putting anything past Warriors or Niners when it comes to trade moves. Oh, speaking of crazy Warriors trades, do you know what I saw on? Um, I forget what it was. It was one of the sports books. I want to say it was Bovada. Um, guess what I saw? They have odds on whether or not Devin Booker will play the first game of next season in a Warriors uniform. Like about why would we get him? Well, it's just because of like all the stuff Draymond was saying about how Devin Booker should request a trade. And I guess for some reason, some people interpreted it as Draymond trying to recruit Devin Booker to come join the Warriors. I wouldn't put it past the Warriors. I'm not putting anything past the Bay Area teams, bro. Yeah. At this point, like, why why do you after, even, after the KD and like Demarcus Cousins stuff? I'm not putting anything past the Warriors. Yeah, but I mean, why do you even need Devin Booker? You've got freaking Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. But like you said, they're getting up there in age. Yeah, they are. That's true. That's big of you to admit that, Callan. <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, I forget which one I was on. Yeah, Josh Hart. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Josh Hart. Great finisher around the rim. That's probably the part of his game I love the most. He's just so strong and so physical when he gets to the basket. It's pretty cool to see. He finishes over defenders that are much bigger than he does on a consistent basis. And, um, yeah, he's a good defender too. So, yeah, I think Josh Hart is kind of like sort of Joe Ingles light, um, which is a good kind of role to play. When you're Never. watching the Blazers games, how nervous do you get? Super nervous. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, I almost, I probably have had like five heart attacks. Just <laughs> I'm pretty, sure, awesome. pretty sure my neighbors can always hear me. You, but you trust them, though, right? The Blazers? Yeah. Or do you get a little sketched out sometimes? Well, I mean, I trust them, but like teams. Good teams lose close games all the time. After that Clippers game, bro, it, it, it's like it's a it's kind of just like not a rude awakening, but it's just like the eye opener to like you literally have to stay focused for the whole forty eight. Yeah, for real. Because I mean, anything could happen. Yeah, especially if that's like because the, the Warriors had some decent. I mean, not the Warriors. The Blazers had some decent leads against the Clips. Yeah. They got diminished in like few possessions. And the thing is, when your defense is as bad as the Blazers has been this year, you're going to give up big runs of points to the other teams. Like when you allow as many wide open threes as we do, like that's just kind of something that comes with the package. But um, when the Blazers run cold, it's going to be long nights. Oh, for sure. Which um, thought. But, but you, they've they've put themselves in a position where it's someone's going to be hot. I feel like with the yeah. weapons they have. Yeah, unless unless the um, wear and tear of just having to play forty minutes a night just to get into the playoffs. Like 
eventually that's going to take a toll on Dame and CJ. But and they've those, had two months off, the three. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's 100% right, which is why I think it probably won't even come into play because we'll probably be eliminated before something like that would even rear its ugly head. But it's just something to think about, especially after we saw Dame look completely gassed after the first round of the playoffs last year. I have a question uh, for you. Yeah. If do you think the winner of this season is going to have an asterisk? Oh yeah. yeah. You think so? Yeah. I mean, okay, but here's my take. Here's my take on it. If if a team that is supposed to win wins, I think that they should have an asterisk by it. But if a team like the Blazers somehow pulls it off, I feel like that's a legit dub. Yeah, and the thing about it is, like, they're all already championships with an asterisk and you can pretty much put an asterisk by any championship like you could say like the raptors last year like they won but does it really count when the team you beat is missing kevin durant and clay thompson who are literally like two of the best players in the nba like you can kind of do you can kind of say stuff that sort of takes away from every champion and well yeah the best the best the actual best teams sometimes don't even win yeah exactly like when the warriors won their championships the spurs were a better team yeah the Oklahoma City Thunder were a better team. Yeah. And arguably the Rockets were a better team. Right. So, like, that's... that's you know what like, I mean? Yeah, that's the thing. The, like, weird stuff happens every year. And this year has been extra weird. But um, I don't really think it's anything that you can sort... Especially, especially since how high quality the basketball has been since we've come back. Like, mm-hmm. the players aren't really showing any signs of, like, rust or sort of... Dame has some rust. Dame is probably the most rusty player in the NBA. Yeah, pro- I mean, probably. I'd have to throw Devin Booker in there too. Like the whole yeah. Suns, like they've only gone seven and zero. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but it's so sick it's though. Like, the Blazers literally are in every game they play. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm curious to see how much. Like, what's the most they've been down in this bubble run? Which team? The Blazers. They were down by 23 against Boston. Yeah, but that was the first game back, though. Yeah, that was the second one. Um, Oh, that was their second game back? And we came up, we came back, and we had a four-point lead in the second half. And then Jalen Brown just torched you. Yeah. That's tough. Who was the first game back? uh, The Grizzlies. Oh, yeah, that was a big one, and you got the dub. Yeah, beat them in overtime. It was a crazy one. Sick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I think I just finished talking about Josh Hart, which brings me to number 17. We just brought up the Suns. Here's a guy who's not playing for them, and that is Kelly Oubre Jr., who's been sidelined um, as he's recovered from a knee injury. And Kelly is a guy who is a high-energy player, which, like I said, is something I like. Um, And he's a pretty smart player too like he doesn't really get a lot of credit for it but a lot of the cuts he makes to the basket and um like he knows how to get open which is something that's very cool to see especially when you play with a guy like rookie rubio who's gonna find you a hundred percent of the time in those situations like knowing when and how to cut to the basket is such a big deal and that's probably kelly's biggest strength i would say he can shoot the ball pretty well he's got I know I touched on this a few times. He's one of those guys who gets better in big moments. Like if it's a big shot, Kelly's one of the guys who I think is going to make it. He yeah. likes 
to have the ball in his hands in those moments. He's kind of a gamer, like, and he talks crap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely is a chatty guy on the court. Um, he's sort of um, – he's a below-average defender, but, but he's yeah. not a liability. You're right, though. There is kind of a big drop-off. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when you think about number 12 was Boyan Bogdanovich and now number 17 is Kelly Oubre. He, yeah, it's, it's, the drop-off is pretty real. And the guys earlier in your list, are some of them are arguably like different positions too. Yeah. And I mean, there are guys who I'm going to include in other lists who could be included as small forwards. So that's sort of just balances itself out. But like, yeah, you're right. There's a big drop-off. Number 18 is kind of going to be a guy who I think you're going to think I overrated. But I think this guy just obviously doesn't get any attention because he plays in Detroit, but it's like everything you sort of want a small forward to be as like a role player. And that is Tony Snell. Who, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, like what he's doing this year is not getting any attention, but my man Tony Snell is shooting above 40% from beyond the arc and he's doing it on high volume too. And I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't watched every Pistons game this year. In fact, I've <laughs> probably watched less than like 30 Pistons games. But Less than how many? Probably less than like 25 or 30. I've probably watched that's no more. still probably more than the regular person that's not a Pistons fan. You, well, yeah. <laughs> they're just one of those teams where I might have them on in the background if I'm not really doing anything and sort of catch parts of it. But Tony Snell is just a lights-out shooter. He's a very good defender. He's like bigger and one of those like bigger long guys who um, even though he's not like the stronger Kawhi Leonard, TJ Warren type of defender is the sort of guy who moves his feet and uses his length to keep his guy in front of him. And that's what, and I sort of like, like I said, I don't know a ton of that. Um, I sort of haven't been watching every Pistons game. So I had to look it up to be sure. And he is in fact a statistically above average defender too. I think he has a, um, defensive BPM of like 0.1, which is as slightly above average as you can get. So an elite, 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 elite shooter with who plays good defense. Like It sounds like the on, you only have good things to say about Snow. Why isn't he ranked yeah. higher? Well, just because his offense is basically limited to shooting. Um, but he, I mean, like in today's game, I feel like that's probably not the worst thing. Well, yeah, but when you look at guys who I had higher than him, like even going up to like a guy like Will Barden at number 15, like those are guys who can shoot, who can't shoot threes as well as Tony Snell, but those are guys who can like put the ball on the floor and create their own offense in an ISO. And Tony Snell is never a guy who you trust with the ball in his hands to create his own shot. He's, he's more of a play finisher than a play creator, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So like, he had he has to have his teammates set up his shot for him, which no harm in that. Like not everybody can be a dynamic player off the dribble, and there's still a lot of value in being able to knock down forty percent catch and shoot threes. But um, it just limits your value as an offensive player. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, Tony Snell 
is another one of those guys who I value, who you can drop onto any team in the NBA and he'll be able to play minutes and contribute and not really conflict with the offense that's already been put in place. So I think that's awesome. Number 19 is going to be a guy who you're familiar with, Harrison Barnes. Yep, I love him. player who I think is underrated. And especially in the Kings. Even on now. He's on the Kings, and I don't think Luke Walton uses him enough. He mostly has Harrison stand in the corner and stand in the wing and shoot catch-and-shoot threes. And obviously Harrison can do that. But I think he's got a little bit of pop off the dribble too, especially the Kings go through long long periods on offense when um, they don't have Fox and Bogdanovich on the floor where the offense just kind of stalls out and you're watching Buddy Heald shoot a million mid-range <laughs> you know, off the dribble. And I really think like just give Harrison Barnes the ball every once in a I want while. Harrison Barnes back. Yeah, he'd be so good on the Warriors. And the thing is, too, he's above average height for a small forward. Isn't he like 6'8", 6'7", 6'8"? And so that length allows him to be a very I want him back, dude. Yeah, he... They should try. Yeah. He's just like... I. He's just like every... I keep going back to this, but like he can fit onto every team just because like his game has no weak, real weak points. Like he plays good defense. Yeah. He's not a dynamic player. Like he's not a, he's not a, he's not an all right, much of the imagination, but teams can't leave him open from three. If he has to, he can create a little bit off the dribble and sort of get to his own shot. Um, He plays good defense. He's a big, bigger guy for a small forward. Like Harrison Barnes is just an all around very solid starting small forward in the NBA. And yeah. he's a guy I like a lot. What? He why do we get rid of him? Uh, money. I mean, you had to sign Durant. Like, oh that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then you could make the case that Harrison Barnes got overpaid by the Kings this off season, and you'd probably be right. But yeah, he's that. The thing I don't like is when um people sort of use contracts and use like the amount of players getting paid as sort of a way to say a player is worse like just because he's overpaid doesn't make him any worse as a player you know Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway yeah Harrison Barnes number 19 just an all-around solid guy Um, this guy I have next is a very similar player to Harrison Barnes I would say he's a little bit better defensively and a little bit worse offensively but a similar mold and that is Jay Crowder. Just like Harrison Barnes, Jay Crowder is another one of those guys who can easily slot up and play power forward when needed. He's a guy who shoots the ball, not as good at shooting as Harrison Barnes, but just as, if not more confident shooting it. And so he's a guy who draws the defender out. A little bit less pop off the dribble than Harrison, but he's a more physical, better defender than Who's Barnes. Who's Jay on right now? He's on the heat right now. And as sad as it is for me, um, he took Myers Leonard's spot in the starting lineup for the Heat. Really? So, yeah. Was Jay ever on this? Who was he on before that? Yeah. Were you about to say the Celtics? Yeah. Yeah. He used to be on the Celtics. And then the team he was on right before that. They had like that badass lineup with like Isaiah. Yeah. And they made the playoffs and Kelly yeah. and all those guys. Yeah. And like Marcus Smart. That was a good team. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. And they were then, chippy. Yeah, they were. Yeah, that was a fun. That year was, what year was that? Was that like 2016 or 15? 
That had to be 16, right? Yeah, and then they had Terry Rozier too. Yeah. That and was, they had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That might have been a year late. That might have been a little later, Tatum and Brown. But I remember maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. They came in here. You're thinking of the team that played the Cavaliers in like the conference. Yeah, line. yeah, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. wrong team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jay Carter was on the uh, Celtics at one point for sure. And yeah, that's pretty much all I want to say about him. Number 21. Here, let me look quick. Yeah, aside from Chris Middleton and maybe a couple other guys, this is probably the best shooter who I'm going to have on the list today. And that's Joe Harris, who um, is one of those guys we talked about, like J.J. Redick or Duncan Robinson, where he can just space out the floor like crazy, run off the screens. He likes to run off of flare screens and get to the top of the key and shoot those catch and shoot threes. And he's just a flamethrower. Um, <laughs> shoots about 40% from beyond the arc on high volume. He's going to be a guy who, even when the Nets add back, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Joe Harris is going to be a guy who fits alongside those guys and is a key role player. Um, not the best defender. He's a little small, but he's pretty strong. Um, he's not a liability, even though he's a guy who teams like to attack. I'd say um, he's not hurting you too bad on that end. And the offense is a big deal. So Joe Harris, number 21. Number 22 is the first rookie on this list. And oh, yeah, Joe Harris is good. Yeah. And oh, also, 20- by the way, Giants down 6-1. to one, Came back and won 7-6. to six. Hey, nice. You, Let's go. What's their record now? 8-11. Uh, okay, that's not, that's not that bad, that's right? Better than projected. Yeah. At this point, though, like in 11 probably won't be good enough to make the playoffs, right? Like you still don't think the Giants are going to make the playoffs. There's still how many games left? Yeah, I mean, there's still a ton of games left. But if, you gonna, if you're going to run, who knows? Yeah. Okay. And plus, yeah, we're like, like in the – it's tough, though, because we're literally in one of the toughest divisions in the um, – because the Rockies, so good. Padres, so good. Dodgers, so good. And then I don't know how the Diamondbacks are really doing. But we're in a really tough division, so it'll be a grind if they want to win or if they even want to make to the playoffs, actually. Do you wish they would tank ever, or do you just want to win as many games as possible? I mean, we've been tanking for the last six years, so we have a lot of good guys that are going to be coming up soon. That's how I kind of am as a fan. Even if even I want to, I want to win. Yeah, even if like, even if like the Blazers were like starting to get worse and starting to decline, and it wasn't quite realistic for them to contend anymore. I don't think I could ever like not root for them to win basketball games. You know, like it. Just, oh yeah, absolutely. Just goes against every instinct as a fan. Um, and for some reason, I don't know. Like, I just like for like the teams that I root for just have really good like organizations that know how to put shit together and recover yeah. and recover fast. And like, I just like trust the moves they make. It might take some time, but like, they always ha- somewhat have some pieces that can be competitive. Um, and there are great players who get drafted between like ten and fifteenth all the time. Like, you don't necessarily have to. Dude, like, some of the best players, like George Kittle, he wasn't like a highly touted prospect. Yeah, you don't have to be a terrible team to draft good players. So I, nope. I mean, you've seen it with the Patriots for the last, what? Decade. Two yeah. Decades. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it helps to have like one of the greatest players of all time, but I mean, still, it takes yeah. more than one to. I don't know. You always have to have a good defense. I don't know. Right. They've always had good players. Yeah. Speaking of good defense, is number twenty-two on my list, and also the first rookie, Matisse Thybul, out of the University of Washington, was on the Seventy Sixes this year, and we I think we're just talking about him. Yeah, and I think he has the potential to be the best defender in the NBA at some point in his career. I know I said this about OG Ananobi, but Matisse Thybul definitely has Defensive Player of the Year potential too. In very limited minutes with the Sixers, like I think he played like 20-some minutes a game. Um, he still was top five in the league in steals, and I'm pretty sure he was top 10 in blocks as well. This is a kid who just creates chaos whenever he's on the floor. His signature is... Even when he gets screened or even when he gets beat by his guy, you never really have fully beat him because he's better than anybody in the NBA at getting chased down blocks from behind. And his arms are so long and he has such good timing and instincts. He just has a knack for like blocking people's shots from behind. He's always got a hand in passing lanes. He's always got a hand somewhere close to the ball. Um, he just has great instincts for playing defense, and that's why I like Matisse so much. The offensive game is still lagging behind. He's a bad three-point shooter. He started out the year shooting the three ball very well, but it was turned out to be unsustainable, and he sort of came back to earth to being a below-average shooter. He sometimes puts the ball on the floor, but he's not very good at that yet. So he's just going to find a niche. He's going to need to find a niche offensively. I think the most likely niche is just being an average three-point shooter. And I think that's very doable for him in the next couple of years. And when you combine that with defensive player of the year potential, Matisse is obviously a guy I'm very high on. Yeah. number. I, I think that Damian Lillard is probably the best point guard in the NBA. I mean, yeah, it's him and Steph at this point. So. Dude, like honestly though, but I mean like – yeah, I mean, th- I've literally been thinking about this like while you're talking and stuff. Like, the more yeah. I think about it, he's like so good. It's gonna be interesting to see if how this Steph next does. year is like kind of make or break if Steph wants to solidify his spot as best point guard, probably. Yeah, in this upcoming year. Yeah. Um, do you have Steph as the best point guard of all time? Of all time. Yeah. Like, do you think he's better than like Magic Johnson? I mean, like, I can't, I'm not really qualified to say I've never seen him play, really. That's true. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, like, as far as shooters, he's the best shooter ever. Oh, yeah. I don't think there could be possibly any debate there. But if Dame keeps on his track, bro, Dame's not going to pass Steph as the best shooter. No, yeah. But people could, people could, like, forget about Steph quickly if Dame keeps playing the way he is. Not forget about Steph, but like you know, how, you know how people take you know how people take back seats when they're super hot. Like when Steph yeah. had his crazy years, and everyone's like, "Dude, he might be better than LeBron." And then yeah, like for those few years, he was better than LeBron. Yeah, and yeah. so you never know. Steph could take a back seat quicker than people think. But I don't. I he's so good though. Do you think Steph is the type of person to sort of concern himself with the fact that people think Dame's better than him? Or do you? Dude, Steph yeah. doesn't care. Are you kidding yeah, he, me? He'll he go does. like this. He'll go like this, and then he'll be like, look at my two MVPs, bro. Yeah. The thing I love about Steph, too, that doesn't get talked about as much is how, like, selfless he is. 
Like, how many people who are in Steph Curry's position as being talked about as one of the best point guards of all time, being the best player on a championship team, how many guys would be okay with allowing a guy like Kevin Durant to come into the organization and sort of take on the lead role? And Zero. Just, yeah, and just be a super good teammate and sort of take a, like, not a backseat, but, like... You know what I meant when I said this? Yeah. Like, his rings? Right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought you were confused when I did that. Yeah. Yeah, we all we all we all know the Warriors have won three championships, Con. You don't have to remind them. <laughs> like, and back to back and first ever unanimous MVP. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they do hopefully they do good in the lottery this year. I'll be rooting for you guys. But um Yeah. So anyway, I guess getting back to the small forward list, we're almost done. Number 23 is Mo Harkless, former trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Another one of those guys in the Barnes Crowder mold who isn't really dynamic on offense but can shoot open threes. And he's a like those two guys. He's sort of a taller guy for a small forward, and he can slot up to power forward. A lengthy defender. He was the Blazers' sort of go-to guy for putting on the best players on the other team. Um, and so obviously a guy who's capable like that of doing stuff like that is a valuable guy to have on your team. He's just not good enough offensively or defensively for me to justify him putting him any higher. He's, I'd say he's slightly below average offensively, slightly above average defensively. It kind of just washes out. Marcus, it's kind of funny. Um, his nickname is literally the most average player in the NBA. Like people like to say he's the most average player in the NBA. And it's kind of funny because it's sort of true. But yeah, anyway, 23, Mo Harkless. 24, Dorian Finney-Smith. The thing about Dorian Finney-Smith is I had to look this up this morning when I was making, or not this morning, this afternoon when I was making this list. is actually a 37% three-point shooter, which was surprising to me because I don't really view him as being an above average shooter. And most of it just is like the high, high majority of his shots are just wide open three pointers in the corner, which is obviously the easiest three pointer in basketball, but still there's something to be, and obviously he's being set up by one of the best playmakers in the league and Luka Doncic. So he's basically being spoon fed the easiest shots in basketball, but still you have to make them. And Dorian Finney Smith has been, making shots this year he's his offensive game is basically limited to that he's not gonna do well he has some explosiveness around the rim so if he, does he play for the mavericks oh so so did, if he did i watch him play today yeah he was he was the guy remember at the very end of the game when the mavericks hit that three but it got waved off because trevor oh he was the corner three yeah, but then Trey Burke basically tackled Damian Lillard. So, it didn't. Mm, yeah, Damian just stepped in front of him. Well, obviously he's going to step in front of him because in front of them he was running to contest the corner three. So obviously he has to go in front of him on the way to get to the corner. But um, no, wasn't. Wait, so who had the ball, Trey Burke? Yeah. So, but Trey Burke was running out and he kicked it out to Dorian, I guess, but then uh, Damien just stepped out in front of Trey and ran into him. I mean, yeah, that's how it went down, I'm pretty sure. I mean, 
Dame no, was no, 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 but it'd be, but like, I'm being real though. That's basically what happened though. Yeah, Dame, Dame like was. If running. Dame didn't do that, that three would have counted. Yeah, Dame was running to the corner to contest the three. And he three. was not. He lit it. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Dame was. Dame was running to the corner to contest the three ball. And then Trey Burke tackled him like a linebacker. <laughs> Trey Burke ran into him. Yeah, that's, he okay. ran into him on accident. Well, yeah, obviously. It was Gary Trent is so fun to watch. Like, he just, like, is a flopper. Like, it's so funny. Yeah. It's, okay. but He plays super hard defense, and he's like, oh. And then he gets back up and plays defense again if they don't call it. <laughs> the, the one on him, the one on a Chris Dops, that one definitely was a, was a flop. Like, he accentuated the contact for sure. But there so was, did Chris Dops, though. Yeah. Chris Dops, like, did a flop, too. Yeah. The one where um, Luca shoved Gary Trent to the ground, I actually thought that I didn't was see that. Ground. It was in the fourth quarter, too. It was probably with, like, four minutes, four or five minutes left to go. Luca pushed off so hard on Gary Trent. And it really? Off. It was crazy. Yeah, there was a few ticky-tack calls that were against the Blazers, but that's yeah, all I saw. I know there are a few ticky-tack fouls against the Mavs, too. Like, the refs were just very whistle-happy. Like the know. corner three one? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, you mean the one with Dame? Oh, I yeah. thought... No, I that was just a smart play by Dame. Yeah, I thought I thought you were talking about the one where Dame drew the foul in the corner three, but no, the one where... The one where Trey... Burke did his best linebacker impersonation was pretty much as not ticky-tack as it gets. But um, <laughs> Trey didn't have anywhere else to go except into Dame, though. What about around Dame? Yeah, but wasn't his all of his momentum was going, and then all of a sudden Dame's right in front of him. That's how I remember. I probably I could be completely wrong, but oh. I remember the announcers being like, "That was a smart play by Dame, or else that three would have counted." That's that's very convenient for Trey Burke that his momentum was taking him right into the one player that would have been able to contest the shot. So, oh yeah, very, I guess I guess that's true. I don't know. Yeah. I want to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to rewatch it. But um, anyway, yeah, Dorian. I'm sorry, Dorian Finney Smith, that you had to get wrapped up in all of this, but. Um, your number 24 regardless number 25 is a guy who really made me sad to rank him here but I just don't know if we'll ever see him healthy and that's Jonathan Isaac who has been fighting injuries for two years now he just um was it meniscus or, um, or what was it he, he hurt something might have been an ACL, ACL? yeah and that's going to keep him out all of next season so it's just hard to know if we'll ever see Isaac healthy. Um, I thought he had the potential to be the defensive player of the year at some point. I know I've said that about three guys on this list, but um, Isaac was 6'10", super quick feet. The crazy thing that made him so unique is he could stop the quickest point guards on the perimeter and stay in front of him. And he could also be an elite rim protector because he was so tall and he was so long and he had such great verticality that he was an awesome shot blocker too. He could take an entire side of the court out of play just because he could use his length and instincts to just get steals. Um, Yeah. You were raving about him before, like, like literally a day before he got hurt. Yeah. I loved Jonathan Isaac. Um, even I thought he was overrated, but I just thought his potential was just so intriguing. And 
now it's becoming apparent to me that we'll probably never get to see any of that potential. So that's so sad. Yeah. Um, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Maybe. But it's like when someone comes like, like you, like you, we never got to saw, like, I, obviously I wasn't around, but like I heard a bunch about it and it's like, you never got to see what Sean Livingston could have actually been. Cause he had a pretty devastating injury. Yeah. But he still ended up being like a decent player. Like he obviously helped the Warriors a lot in their um, playoff runs. Yeah, but he wasn't like the player he could have been. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Jonathan Isaac can find some sort of other way to contribute. But, but I mean, but I mean, like we've seen guys that have had pretty crazy injuries get come back. Like I mean, what Paul George went through is pretty insane, and what and what um, Hayward yeah. went through was pretty crazy too, and they the seem thing, to be pretty fine. The thing that worries me though is when you tear your ACL, then you put a brace on that knee and tear that ACL again, it just is starting to look like a bit of a sketchy situation. You know? Oh, this is his second time? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know if it was po- – I didn't even know that it was possible to tear your ACL if you had a brace on that knee. I thought, like, the whole point of the brace was that it literally prevented the knee from moving that way. But um, I guess it is possible, obviously. So that's a bummer. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Like, because you're you're like into that medical sort of stuff, right? So our 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 like so our brace is like ninety nine percent effective, you think? But like, there's a one percent chance. Still, I think that braces are fine, but I I don't think that like braces aren't as effective as you think. Probably, like uh, I'm sure they like hold things and make them more stable. But if you're you haven't you literally have an artificial tendon as a AC or ligament now it's not real i mean like if you do something that like irritates it or if you just bend it in the wrong way i'm sure you can tear it again it doesn't like the the brace is there obviously to keep it like stable but if you come down on something weird it's like inevitable cuz like the the anterior cruciate is like i'm pretty sure it's kind of like it's like in the middle of your knee so i, I think if you come down it's it might not have to, it, not, it might not necessarily be I might be completely wrong but it doesn't necessarily probably have to be lateral movement that breaks is it how did he hurt his knee he was doing like a little hop step like on his way to do a layup and it was a non-contact he just like hopped and landed on that knee and it just kind of buckled under him yeah if it, if he like if he like when his knee landed and it went forward like this it could have snapped because yeah, it's like that in the middle of your knee uh, and it's not like a side one. So if he just like did a weird move, jerking movement, it could have just broke off like his femur or whatever the fuck it's going to yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that sounds like it's probably what happened to him. And it's just so sad to see someone go down on a non-contact injury like that. But yeah. Um, yeah. And the worst possible part of it was that he was due for his contract extension this summer. So is going to be missing out on probably a lot of money unless the magic still somehow are in love with his potential, which I find it harder and harder to be now. So anyways, um, before I get too sad, I'm going to move on to number 26 and that is your 2020 slam dunk champion, Derek Jones Jr. of the Miami Heat. Obviously, Derek Jones Jr. is most well-known for his athleticism, like finishing alley-oops, finishing crazy dunks. 
but he was also an above average defender this year. Like just the size and athleticism he has allow him to compete at a high level defensively. His offensive game is still very limited. He's pretty much just a slasher, but when you're playing with guys like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, like that's a pretty good thing to be. So Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who I have at number 26. I would say there was probably in like at this point, it's starting to get like pretty sparse. Like um, even though there are 30 teams in the NBA, I don't think there are 30 starting caliber small forwards. You know, I would say there are probably like 22 or 23 starting caliber small forwards. And now we're getting into guys who are fine backups, but you don't trust them as starters. Um, Number 27 is a guy who hasn't started in a long time. Uh, yeah, what happened is like he definitely he like his leg was uh like all of his weight was like in on the ins like his leg was like that and I think all that force. Did you go back and watch it? Yeah, just snapped yeah. it. Cuz like yeah, that that's honestly weird cuz like the brace obviously is supposed to like help with lateral movement but with the way his leg was, he got the like the lateral movement in a different way. And it just loaded his knee in a way that it just must have busted his. Like that's that's brutal. Cause like if he like would like jab step to the side, it wouldn't happen. But since his weight was like bearing in the middle, all of that weight is just coming down, and that that sucks. That's literally terrible, especially the same knee. I know. Yeah, that's, the non- that's trash, bro. That's awful. The, the non-contact ones are my least favorite to watch. They're the worst. But yeah. The one was that was weird for me was when KD, like I, the, the whole game, I knew something was going to happen. Yeah. Did you ever see there was that close up video of it that was trending on Twitter and you could literally see like the ripple in his sock where his Achilles just had snapped and it you went up into his um, calf. Yeah. And you could like see it moving through his leg. Yeah. You see it wiggle up into his calf muscle. It's disgusting. Yeah. It is pretty foul. Yeah. But yeah, that that's awful. The my least favorite ones though are the ones where bones actually get broken and you can hear it though. You know, like even through TV, like when Nurk broke his leg, it you could like hear it crack, which yeah. The sound makes it worse in my opinion. But. I don't like the compound fractures. I think that's what they're called. When the yeah. bone it leaves the body. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Obviously no one probably likes that. No, I would hope not. Um, yeah, let's let's move on from injuries. This is starting to get a little um, yeah compound fracture, an injury in which the broken bone pierces the skin. Yeah, <laughs> does that give you the the like? Does that not make you feel uncomfortable? It doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, but, um, gives you like the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, number twenty-seven <laughs> on the small forward list. Then you probably shouldn't watch Project Eleven then. If the, if just talking about it makes you like, yeah, I've kind of been avoiding it for that reason. I'm pretty sure I'd probably need some sort of bucket to throw up, and if I were to watch Project <laughs> Eleven, um, number twenty seven is Andre Iguodala. Obviously, washed up, getting older. Um, yeah, just not as. You good have a lot he- of Heat players. Yeah, the Heat are pretty rich and small forwards this is their third guy i've said it's funny they don't have a single guy in my top 19 but they have number 20 
number 26 and number 27. And so Andre Iguodala, still one of the smartest players in the NBA, uh, still a good defender who won't play good defense for the entire season, but he's a guy you trust to sort of lock down when it matters. He doesn't have a whole lot of um, shooting ability on offense, but he's, like I said, a smart player, which counts for a lot. He keeps the ball moving. He'll find the open guy. He knows how to play in a system. So, yeah, Andre Iguodala, even though for like um, for just like overall regular season, just if you're playing an entire season, I don't know if I'd have him top 30, but if you need to win a game that matters, Andre is a guy who like you like having on your team, you know? So, yeah, that's why I included him. Number 28, a guy who's been fighting injuries for a long time is Otto Porter Jr. Had yet another year that was pretty much completely lost to injuries. But the potential is still there for Porter. He's still got the size. He can shoot it. He's been a good defender. He's pretty much the prototypical 3 and D small forward, just a guy who obviously can shoot the ball at above league average rate and can defend his position very well. He's just never been healthy enough to sort of act on that potential. But um, I'm not too worried about – I think it's been mostly ankle injuries from this year. So I'm not really worried about how um, that specific injury is going to affect him going forward. But at this point, you just kind of have to think he's made a glass. So if it's not something with him, it's something else. So yeah, the guy I worry about. Number 29, yet another guy who lost this season to injury, but will hopefully be back in time for the beginning of next year. And that's Rodney Hood of the Portland Trailblazers. Oh, yeah. Rodney Hood is an elite three-point shooter above 40%, which is obviously crazy, especially for a small forward. Like above 40%, you can kind of expect that from the best point guards and shooting guards. But even for great um, small forwards, shooters, 40% is still the best of the best. And that's where Rodney was this year. Um, I worry about how his dynamism off the dribble is going to be affected by the Achilles. I think it'll slow him down make it a little bit harder to get to like the step backs and sort of the crossovers he liked to. So I think um, his offensive game is going to be a little bit less versatile. I think he'll still be one of the best shooters in the NBA at this position. But I a little ring light, but it, um, to improve the lighting, but it, uh, it ran out of batteries. So I have to charge it later. Oh, really? It's already cut you off. Yeah. It helps a lot actually. Does it just clip onto your laptop? Yeah. It just clips on right over the camera. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was out. like if it wasn't that expensive, it was on Amazon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I'll research that. That's pretty cool. It improves um, the lighting a lot, but it ran. You have to make sure you charge it a lot though, because I, I I just pulled it out of the box and put it on, so it probably hasn't. It wasn't at full full like capacity, probably. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, number twenty nine, Rodney Hood, probably is gonna obviously be set back by the injury, but one of the best shooters on this list, which has to count for something. Number 30 is another trailblazer and that's Trevor Ariza. Unfortunately had to miss the Orlando bubble, but he's a guy. He's a huge addition. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we're so, we're so weak at small forward that even having a guy like Trevor Ariza would have made a massive difference. But, um, yeah, he's just an average shooter, can knock down those corner threes at a fine enough clip, and he can do a decent job 
defending his own position. He's just kind of a guy who quietly is average. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, nothing really special. He's in the twilight of his career in Sacramento at the beginning of the year. He definitely was looking washed up as once he was in Portland, he is starting to look a little bit better. He was making shots more often, which is probably just a coincidence, but I mean, he started to look a little bit better. He can hit the three ball. Yeah, he can. I bet he's like a 36, 37 percenter, but on that's not bad at all. Yeah. But on super easy attempts, it's nothing crazy either, but, um, yeah. So Trevor's a guy who isn't the most exciting name, but when you're like the Blazers and literally don't have one single small forward, you could do a lot worse than Trevor Ariza, especially oh, yeah, since he's sure. good size for the position. But yeah. I would say he probably has like one or two good years left. Well, he has no good years left. He has one or two years left where he can actually contribute in a meaningful way. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's it for the top 30. Any Beautiful. I like I like all of it. I mean, obviously, you said just like you said that the, it kind of drops off. So, I mean, like yeah. it, it the, the guys that you kind of said, it'll like where they fit, like it might not like the skill level, I feel like might not matter as much as the individual player probably would fit better in an individual system. You know what I mean? Like right. certain, certain guys will probably be better in certain situations. Yeah. And that's why it's always. Awesome. And that's why I always love guys in our shooter, like shout them out when I think they could like be a good fit in any system is that when you get to guys who aren't the best of the best, it's so important to have that sort of versatility that allows you to play with everybody in the league. Um, Exactly. There are a few names who didn't quite make my top 30 list, but these aren't even honorable mentions because these aren't like the best five players that didn't make it. They're just four players who I think are, or five players who I think are interesting to talk about. So I just want to read them off really quick. The first one is your boy, Andrew Wiggins. Um, mm. Wait, he didn't make it? He's really good. I mean, yeah, he didn't make it for me. I'm sorry. Um, the top 45? No, this was just the top 30. I didn't do 45 this time. Dude, how could you not? I totally forgot. I would take Andrew Wiggins over um, like almost all of those guys outside of the top 10. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um Bro, he averages almost 20 points a game, and he's a pretty good, solid defender from what I've seen. Uh, I would push back on the solid defender thing. I think maybe if Steve Kerr can provide a little bit of discipline in his life, maybe he starts becoming an average defender. He's actually a guy who I can see moving up this list because he was bad this year, but I actually think once he's playing on a competitive team in the Warriors and the games actually start to matter – I it wasn't that bad. Every game he played him with the Warriors, he pretty much did fine. Yeah, I'm talking about the time he spent on the Timberwolves, too. I think Steve Kirk can kind of shore up some of his miss or shortcomings. Um, obviously, the thing you look at with Wiggins the most, besides his lack of effort on defense for me, is his terrible shot selection on offense. He has an affinity for off-the-dribble three-pointers and long twos which he is terrible at. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's not a good mid-range shooter. He doesn't get to the basket as much as you'd hope for a guy with his athleticism. Um, so, yeah, he just has a whole lot of um, – a whole lot of sort From of – From what I've seen, he's pretty good. Yeah, he just has a lot of excess fat in his game that needs to be taken out. And by excess fat, I mean terrible shots. And so – 
once he's playing with Steph and Clay, I bet he can be a good contributing role. He's going to be like a Harrison Barnes. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. And in that case, I'll have no problem moving him up into like the top 25. I honestly think he's going to be better not feeling like yes to carry the weight of a team on his shoulders. Yeah, I think you're probably I think you're probably right. He's um, going to space out the floor a lot. Well, I don't really know if I'd consider him a spacer. He's nothing special from being No, I just like you can't leave him open. You're not you can't afford to leave him open. Is what and I'm saying. Like if you give him open looks, he's going to probably going to kill you. I can do that. I mean, like what I he he can score the basketball and he gets to the rim pretty good and he can finish and he's athletic. And also like he, he, he can't, like, I know he probably takes some like low percentage shots, but he can drain it from beyond the arc for sure. And like those long twos, he can drain them. So like he, he's definitely not like, he's probably one of the more well-rounded small forwards. I think. Mm, Yeah. I just, I mean, like when he was playing against the Lakers, he was actually playing defense on LeBron, and LeBron wasn't liking it. Here, let's just do some quick statistics for Andrew Wiggins from this year. He shot forty six percent from the field. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm that's pretty average. Thirty four percent from three, which obviously he took some hard shots in Minnesota, but thirty four percent I don't quite think is going to cut it. He was 51% on twos, which is good. Like, obviously, he's an athletic guy. Like, he can finish at the basket, like you were saying. Um, 67% from free throws. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's, that is bad. That is really bad. Um, 19 points per game, obviously, coming on low efficiency, like we went over. Um, a PR of 17.5 once he was on the Warriors. So, that's nothing bad at all. True shooting percentage was below average. He didn't take enough three-pointers. Either well as many as you'd like. Only a three-point attempt rate of 32. I'd, pro- I'd probably say that's going to go up to 40 once he starts playing um, in Golden State. Uh, turnover percentage was average, so that's pretty good. Usage percentage was 25%. Um, I bet that goes down to like 16 or 17 or 18% with the Warriors, which obviously is going to help his efficiency go up because he's going to be cutting most of the hardest shots out of his game. The thing that's the most troubling for me, and like we were going to get this to this eventually, is his defensive um, box plus minus, which is my favorite stat to look at defensively. Um, and without going basically into minutia of analytics, it's how well did your team do on defense without you on the floor versus how well did they do at defense with you on the floor? And for Andrew Wiggins, that was negative 1.1, which means his team uh, gave up almost one extra point or over over a point per 100 possessions when he was on the floor, which is not good and not something you'd expect out of a player of Wiggins caliber. So I think you might be right. I I might be sleeping on Andrew Wiggins a little bit. I think going to Golden State is the best thing that could have possibly happened for his career. Yeah, I, I agree. That's what everybody was saying, basically. Yeah, I think he would, he's definitely a guy who could find himself in the top 30 if we have this conversation again. Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised he's not in it now, to be honest. I mean, like I would have him over Andre Iguodala. He has the potential, but he was just 
he's just been so, so bad for the past couple of years. It's just hard to, it's hard to reward something we haven't seen, you know, but um, another guy who I wanted to talk about is Spurs rookie Keldon Johnson, who had been in the G league pretty much all year, but is down in the bubble with the San Antonio Spurs and has been playing very well. Uh, He can shoot the three. He's got some pop off the dribble. He can defend other small forwards. This is a guy who I think we'll be seeing on this list for a long time to come. Um, Kyle Korver for the Bucks um, doesn't give you much at the small forward position. Yeah, he's one of the best shooters in the NBA. He still at least tries on defense, even though he obviously cannot compete. A uh, guy who has really surprised me recently is Timofey Luau Cabarro of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, his three ball starting to go in with more consistently. Um, he's a capable defender. He's a guy who I think can play in the rotation, even when Kevin and Kyrie come back, maybe not in the rotation, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets, um, retain him for next season. And the last guy I want to talk about is Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who just has nothing on offense. Probably one of the worst shooters in the NBA shoots less than 10% from beyond the arc. Um, can't really do anything except dunk the ball. Even layups are a bit of an adventure for him. Um, he's, he's, I'm, not even, I'm not even joking. He he bricks layups, but um, he's such a good defender. He's such a versatile defender. I can't wait to see in a Toronto. A bit of an adventure. I can't wait to see if in a Toronto Milwaukee series. We'll probably see him matched up against Giannis at some points. And he is capable of guarding Giannis, which you can't say about probably more than 20 players in the NBA. So even though he's got nothing on offense, sometimes it's worth it for what he provides on defense. And that is pretty much it. That's all the names I had written down. Right on. Did you see how we're probably going to have a guest on Monday? Like most definitely going to have a guest on Monday. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it is going to be. UFC writer. Huh? A UFC writer. Yeah, but he also like he goes to press conferences and he like literally asked Dana White and like all those guys the questions after. But like he's like the first dude to always like uh ask the questions. Oh really? Yeah, so he talks to all the fighters and everything and it's going to be pretty sick. He literally was at fight on Fight Island like the whole entire time. That's going to be cool. Definitely something for uh, listeners to tune into, I guess. Come oh, on. yeah. Plus he's got like the sickest voice in MMA, so it's going to be dope. But yeah he sounds awesome yeah it'll be cool but yeah thank you jonah for once again blessing us with this knowledge we will be this is jonah's nba talk part three uh probably out of five and then we'll have a and then we'll have a um playoff review obviously yeah well it's, like whenever. it's not gonna be out of five we can no no no, 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 no. i mean I, like, I, I mean like it's gonna be it's gonna be five parts of because you're doing players oh right yeah yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what i meant that's we're gonna have this like the whole time through yeah, we can come up with infinite more subjects. Don't, don't, don't you worry. We no, can. yeah, I, I don't doubt you. No, I was just saying that like you, we have like five players, like five different okay, positions. Yeah. Two, we have two more positions left. You should go. also do like six man too. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. That'd be sick. Okay, all right. Well, thank you, Joe. And yeah, um, this, this one will probably be up, I don't know, late, like later this week. Probably right. on Wednesday. Because I also want to do on on Thursday and post it on Friday, like a UFC 252 review. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Actually, I'm just going to have, honestly, I'm just going to have him post this one tomorrow. Okay, cool.
because it's not like you have to edit anything. You just put, put the music in the beginning All and right. then just like post it. But yeah, sick. Awesome. Thank you, Jonah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Cool. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah.